You take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28, if you would, please. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Let's read it one more time. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Some third and fourth graders at the Wheaton, Illinois Christian School were given the assignment of answering the question, by faith I know that God is, blank, 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 and they answered this. One said, I know that God is sweet. He gave me a dog. He tells me not to do things that are bad. I sure need someone like that. <laughs> Amen. Another one said, I, by faith, I know that God is faithful. My school bill came, and my mom didn't know how she could pay for it. Two minutes later, Dad calls and says he got a bonus check. My mama broke down and cried. Another one answered, by faith, I know that God is merciful. My brother has been nice to me for a whole year. I like that one. But here's one I like. Uh, by faith, God, I know that God is forgiving because he forgave people in the Bible and he forgave me. When I went in the road on my bike without one of my parents and God forgave me. Forgiveness. It's on the minds of millions of people today. Everybody's asking, what is forgiveness? Should we forgive President Clinton? Should I forgive my daughter who's giving me so much trouble? Should I forgive my son who's caused me this grief? Should I forgive the person with whom I work? TV reporter was here last week during this service. And out in the media center, she said to me, listen, she said, do you think that we should forgive President Clinton? No, no. She said, do you think he deserves forgiveness is what she asked. <laughs> I said, that's not even a close question. Nobody deserves forgiveness. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. No, we don't deserve it. But God grants it to us on the basis of something else. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion that has a book that grants forgiveness on the basis of what somebody else has done most religions say, well, go out and work for it. No, it grants forgiveness on the basis of what somebody else has accomplished. And that is one of the, the uh, great things about our God. He is a God of mercy who grants complete forgiveness on the basis of what, not what I did, not what you did, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. But the second thing I want you to remember about this is it is one, one of the few direct promises in Proverbs. There's a promise in Proverbs 3 that says, Honor the Lord with the firstfruits of all thine increase, and so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy vats shall be overflowing with new wine. That's a promise. But most of the book of Proverbs are observations about truisms in life, or they're observations about truth that have been proven true, but there are very few really direct promises in the book of Proverbs. But this is one of those promises. It is, he whoever covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. 
Now, there are three things in this verse, our text, which uh, I want us to understand. The first is a word of instruction about forgiveness. He who covers his sins will not prosper. Covers. Now, the Hebrew word uh, translated cover here is one of two words translated covering, also translated atonement in the Old Testament. Uh, for instance, forgiveness or atonement is translated by uh, salas, pardon, by nasa, uh, to be taken away or to be borne away. But it's also translated by kefar, which is to cover. And so it's only a step from Kephar to Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. But you know, the word out of Leviticus 16 is not atonement. The word is really covering. It's the day of covering. He who covers his sins shall not prosper. Now I know, what are you asking? What are you wondering? What what looks strange about me? Does anything look strange about me this morning? How many of you think I've lost my mind? Okay, yes, God bless you. I will pray for you too and you. Okay, um, what's your reaction? What do you think when you see, when you see, the, see, see this? What do you think? Brandon, what do you think? Darth Vader. <laughs> okay, uh, somebody else. What, do you th- what did you think when you saw me? Pardon? O.J. Simpson. <laughs> oh, my goodness. O.J. Simpson. Well, what else? Somebody else had an opinion down here. What? Pardon? What am I covering up? Oh, I've got some terrible filth on my hands, and I forgot to wash my hands this morning. So rather than wash my hands, I decided I would just cover them up. That's the word that is translated here. Cover up. Now, I show you something. I really don't have anything to cover up. Really? Really, I don't. In fact, even look at this hand. Now, I did stick this finger, that thumb, right in the square middle of the thumb on a rose bush yesterday, but I'm not trying to cover that up. It needs air. It's sore, but it needs air. Now, whoever Darth Vader's his sin, whoever, I didn't say this now. This came from the congregation. Whoever O.J. Simpson's his sin, I don't believe I'll go any farther than that. I will, I will cover up my sin, and if I do, I will not prosper. Boy, that's as clear as can be. Go back to your, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, when God comes walking in the garden and he looks for Adam and Adam is hiding over here behind the bushes. In chapter 3, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, Adam and Eve, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings leaves. Now, you can pull a leaf off the tree, but the tree doesn't die. The life stays in the tree. Man's way of covering his sin is to create his own means and do it his own way and do it himself. 
they would never have known they were sinners unless they had disobeyed God and partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And once they partook, then they knew evil. Once they knew evil, then they knew shame. Once they knew shame, then they knew nakedness. Once they knew nakedness, then they had to cover themselves. And man has been trying to cover his own sin in his own way from that day to this. Man's method is use the leaves. Man's method is the fruit of the earth. Man's method is not God's method. Whoever covers his own sins shall not prosper. But if you move on in chapter 3, you'll see in verse 21, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of what, class? What is it? Skin. Tunics of skin and clothed them or covered them. That is God's way because the wages of sin is death. There has to be a death offered for a covering for sin. And here is man's way in chapter 3, set over against God's way. Man's way is I'm wise. I can figure out my own life. I'm smart. I can work my way out of this. I can cover my own sin. I can cover my own trail. Most of the time, covering for your sin does just what these gloves did. All you could think about at first was what? What did you think about? You weren't looking at my tie. You didn't even know I had one on. You were looking at the what? You're looking at the gloves. Most people don't understand that. But when you cover your sin, everybody can see when you're trying to cover your sin. And the more you try to cover it, the more you call attention to it. Nearly always, that's why the law, that's the way the law of sowing and reaping works. When we try to cover it up, we call more attention to it. And the more we try to cover it, the more attention comes. I mean, I've worked with people in, in sin situations, and, 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 and they just don't believe. Well, uh, that everybody knows. How do they know? Oh, you know. I sat down and talked to the man the other day. My heart didn't resonate with his. I could tell he was out of sync with me. Either I was in sin or he was in sin, and I just prayed for forgiveness, and I didn't know of any sin that I hadn't confessed, and I knew there was something wrong. I just knew. How do you know? I don't know. I, I can't explain that. Can you explain that? I, I can't explain it, except my heart witnesses, or it doesn't witness. So the clothing is a cover for sin. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 16. You know what? God set one day apart in all of Israel's ritual acts. One day of atonement called Yom Kippur. Yom Kephar, Yom Kippur. And that's where it came from. It is the day of atonement or the day of covering. And it is in Leviticus chapter 16. And you will see it beginning in verse 29. After it is described, he says, this shall be a statute forever. Leviticus 16, 29. In the seventh month, 10th day, you'll afflict your souls and do no work, whether a native or a stranger. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you. The word atonement is covering. The priest shall make a covering that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement or covering, put on the linen clothes, the holy garments, make atonement for the holy sanctuary, Imagine, 
he had to make atonement and cleanse the tabernacle. Why? Because the tabernacle, as compared with the true tabernacle, was going to be imperfect. So it had to be sanctified every year, saying that one day it will be made perfect. And he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and make atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. And this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement or covering for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And the Jewish people observe Yom Kippur as that covering day, that atonement day, once a year. The cover for the sins of the priest and the sins of the people and the imperfections of the tabernacle and the altar. Mark Twain said, the only animal that blushes or needs to is man. <laughs> but that's because we know sin. That's because we have the knowledge of good and evil. Therefore, we know what sin is. Thomas Aquinas, the great theologian, said, the road that stretches before the feet of every man is a challenge to his heart before it tests the strength of his legs. And what is he saying? He is saying... That is the attitude of the heart where the victory is won. It's an attitude of openness towards sin that says, I shall not cover my sin, but I shall acknowledge and confess it. Now hear this carefully. The truth about the Bible and forgiveness is this, that God will not cover what we will not uncover. Can you remember that? What we are unwilling to hold out before God, he will not cover. He does not cover what we do not confess. It's not applied. God's grace is not engaged. It's not applied until we have uncovered our sin. <laughs> All right, that leads me to the second thing. Not only is there an instruction, but here are conditions for forgiveness. Now follow our text. Whoever covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes. There are two conditions, two conditions for forgiveness. Now you can either build your idea of forgiveness around what man thinks, and man thinks it depends on your goodwill. You know, you forgive or don't forgive on the basis, of, are you a man of goodwill? I want to tell you, goodwill or ill will has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's whether or not we have recognized that our grace comes from God, and if it comes from God, then you don't have any choice, and I don't have any choice. We must forgive. Now, there are two things, two conditions, however. We don't earn God's forgiveness. We don't, we don't confess and renounce as a way of earning forgiveness. God offers forgiveness on the basis of his person, his character. The word confess here is the word to uncover. It is this word right here. The New Testament word is homologeos. Homo, uh, same, like a homosexual is one who likes a person of the same sex. A hetero is different. And a, a homologeos is a word that is the same. The New Testament word for confess is say the same thing that God already knows. But the Old Testament word for confess, really, it's uncover. It's take off the cover. That's what literally it means. Reach out the hand and uncover and hold the sin to God and let him cover it his way or cleanse it his way. That's the basis for forgiveness. Turn to the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. Chapter 17 and verses 3 to 5. 
And uh, I want you to read what Jesus says. Take heed to yourselves. Now, that's a, that's a crazy way for Jesus, isn't it? Kind of to begin a passage on forgiveness. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. But in the middle of all this, that is a relational passage about forgiveness, Jesus says, now, first, before you, you hear this, take heed to yourselves. I like that. Pay attention to yourselves. Now, this is for you. This has a responsibility for you, David. This is for me. This is for you. This is ours. What do you mean? Meaning I have responsibility. If my brother has wronged me, I rebuke him. If, he, if I have wronged him, I confess to him. And so the, the first thing I want you to remember is that, that uh, this confession, this confession requires action on our part. If I have wronged my brother, then I go to him. If he has wronged me, I go to him. I am responsible to hold out the hand. Well, if you go on to verse 5, he says, or verse 4, rather, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, what do you do? You forgive him. You say, but, but shouldn't I test him to see whether he means it or not? That's not your job. That's not my job. It's not my job to test whether he means it. That's God's. I do what God commands me to do, and I put the rest in his hands. And God will forgive on the basis of his confession. And God knows what the true confession is. To hold out the hand is to confess. Secondly, though, the, our text says, whosoever confesses and forsakes his sins, renounces his sins. You know what the Hebrew word means here? It means to let go of. It's something you're holding on. Whoever relinquishes or loosens control or loosens the hold, he is forgiven. That's what it means. When I confess my sin, I let go of it. If I renounce it, if I forsake it, if I turn from it. Now, Luke chapter 3, while you're in Luke, let's go to Luke chapter 3. And here is perhaps one of the most important things of all about, about sin and forgiveness. In Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, John the Baptist says to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Can <laughs> you imagine me speaking to the local ministerial association and beginning my message, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you snakes in the grass. Imagine that. Well, let's not imagine that. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why did you come to my baptism of repentance? And then he goes on to say, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Don't make excuses. Don't make rationalizations. Turn loose, confess, and renounce. Now, renunciation involves a very significant step nearly forgotten in our day. And that is, bring forth fruits that are worthy of repentance. You see, I don't bring forth works in order to be forgiven. 
I bring forth works to show that I have been forgiven. They are works that are meet or worthy of repentance. The fact is that uh, uh, it's very much like faith and works. If I say, James said, I believe in Christ and have not any works, then I only say it. I don't really have them. If I repent but don't show it by my works worthy of repentance, then I really don't have confession. And I haven't really repented and renounced. Now, I want you to watch the passage here. Because he says in verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10. So the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? Now look at that question. All right, John, what shall we do that are works worthy of repentance? And he said to them, all right, here's an example of works that are worthy of repentance. He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. This goes beyond restitution. This is works worthy of repentance. Generosity is what he's saying, verse 11. If you've really turned from your sin, you'll be a generous man. When the people said, what shall we do? He said, start practicing generosity. That's a work worthy of repentance. You show that God has touched your life. Well, then look in verse 12. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? See, the question is, what shall we do in terms of works that are worthy of repentance? Tax collectors he said, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And all the people said, amen. <laughs> See, they, they shouldn't go out collecting 15 drachmas if they are only owed 10 drachmas. So for the tax collector, his work showing his repentance was one thing. For the people, it was another. Now, by the way, we're not done. Look in for, verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? See, the question is, what works worthy of repentance shall we do? And he said to them, I'll tell you what you should do. He said, uh, don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. Treat everybody with dignity. That is worthy of repentance. That is a change that will show you mean business with God. As a soldier, don't go around and abuse your power. Don't go around and intimidate or accuse falsely. And finally, he said, another work worthy of repentance is be content, verse 14, with your wages. Contentment, that's, a, that's a, a work worthy of repentance. That's work that is fruit, meat for repentance. It is contentment. Be content with what God gave you. Be content with a job you have. Be content with the money. Learn to live with what you have. Be content with a wife God's given you. Be content with a husband God's given you. Be content with the place the Lord has given you. Be content with your lot in life. That's a work worthy of repentance. Now, what is fascinating here is that each of these fruits has to do with what that person is and where that person is in life. Work worthy of repentance. Every sin is against God. Do you remember when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife? And she said, my husband's gone, and there's nobody in the house. And the Egyptian women, you know, used a pint of perfume per day. Can you imagine what she smelled like? He must have been attracted by the smell, even. 
And, and he said, oh, no, I cannot do this. And do you remember what he said? No, because I could not do this sin against God. Ladies and gentlemen, the worldly view of sin is that it's just a situational thing. It's just a relative thing. It's an offense against another human being. And, uh, and therefore, we treat it with trivialization. And I tell you, every sin is a sin against God. It is a sin against the holy nature of God. And we must deal first with God, and then we deal with man. And let the cycle of my sin be the cycle of my confession. I confess to God, then I confess to man, and I confess to whoever I have sinned against. But that is a condition. To confess is to hold out the hand and open up to the truth. And it is to renounce, it is to turn from. The New Testament idea is metanoia, to turn or change. And so even if your brother or your husband or your wife says, I'll stop, he's an alcoholic. Oh, I promise you I'll never drink again. And Thursday he drinks again. You hold out as long as God can give you grace. Love that man as long as you can. If it's a drug addict, you love that person. Hold them accountable. Keep holding them accountable. But at the same time, keep offering mercy and grace. If it's an anger-dominated person, the one place probably I would not advise that is when a man gets abusive and his abusiveness increases, I think you can hear it over and over again, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. I think that's when, for your own safety, you need to get out of there and you need to allow time for him to show works worthy of repentance. I had a man one time that I'd heard had gossiped about me. He had told stories about me. Now, I was a much younger pastor, and I gave him 10 days to make it right. I wouldn't give you 10 days to make it right. If I hear it, whoever knows goes. That's my rule. Whoever knows goes. If I know you've offended me, I'm going to you. If I've offended you, I'm going to you, if I know it. And, and so whoever knows goes. Can you write that down? That's a pretty good rule. <laughs> but anyway, I heard this man who said that about me, and I waited 10 days. Now, the bad thing about waiting 10 days is that while you're waiting, every time that person's in the service, all the sermons are directed right towards him. He's the only one you can see. Baptism. Yes, yeah, some people went through baptism and didn't mean it. <laughs> oh, you're preaching on grace. Some people have taken grace and won't give it. <clears throat> and you drive it right home to the guilty party. Amen. That's terrible, really. Finally, I knocked on his door one evening. He came to the door. Oh, pastor, what are you doing here? Well, I heard you said this and this about me. Can I come in and talk to you? Okay, he said, come on in. He kind of hung his head. When I got inside, he said, uh, uh, or I said to him, I want you to know two things I, I've got to find out. I've come, A, did you say it? And B, why did you say it if you said it? And uh, he said, yes, I said it. And he said, I said it because you wouldn't do what I wanted you to do. I said, well, I've come to tell you that you are forgiven. He said, well, I haven't confessed or I haven't apologized. I said, I don't care. I still forgive you. Oh, he said, in that case, I apologize. Please forgive me. Now, you see, it was my job to offer forgiveness. The issue is not does somebody deserve forgiveness, the issue is, if God has forgiven me, I don't have any choice. I have to forgive. 
I have to offer forgiveness, and I leave that in God's hands, and then I watch his fruit. It's not my job to damage that person or to take vengeance on that person, because vengeance is not mine. It doesn't belong to me. To whom does vengeance belong? It belongs to the Lord. So we let it go. When I've done my part and I've confessed or I've offered forgiveness, then I have to let it go. Let it go when it's your daughter. Let it go when it's your son. Let it go when it's your grandchild. Do what God has called you to do and let it go. And if there are works worthy of repentance, they will be manifested to you and God will testify to your heart. But it is not our job to walk around punishing everybody who has wronged us. Learning to live above a wrong because of the mercy of God is one of the greatest tasks of the Christian life. It is learning to treat somebody as if they had not done me wrong. And I lead them to God. And I'm going to tell you, God will handle them a lot better than you and I will. And I'd much rather they be in the hands of God than in my hands because it'll be more severe and more appropriate. Finally, there is a promise in our text passage. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have, here's the word, class, mercy. (laughs) Boy, what a word, mercy. Now, this is not hesed, faithful love. Hesed, translated 27 different ways in the English language. That's not hesed, though. It's another word. This word, strangely enough, means to love, to have compassion, to fawn over somebody or to fondle someone in a good sense. You know, we got so much perversion today, fondle has changed its meaning. But the old original Hebrew idea was to take a child in your arms and just pat them and love them and hold them. That's what fondling means. And the mercy of God is what is available for whoever confesses and forsakes. Now, you see, we don't forgive somebody because uh, they're good or because we're good. We don't forgive somebody on the basis of of, uh, they deserve it or they don't deserve it. We forgive on the basis of I've been forgiven by the Father, and since I've received mercy, I have no choice but to offer mercy on Define mercy. Now, here are some things that you must remember in finding mercy. First, it is, it is a condition of confession and repentance and not an earning of mercy. I meet the conditions and I find myself in the middle of mercy. Secondly, without the shedding of blood, there is no covering or forgiveness for sin. The shedding of blood is essential for mercy. James says there at the cross where the blood of Christ was shed, both mercy and judgment meet. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us in verse 22. Hebrews 9, 22. Something very important. It's always been true. Always in God's economy, even in the Old Testament. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission or forgiveness for sins. No cleansing. 
Thank God he doesn't cover up our sin. He sent Christ, since the wages of sin are death, he sent Christ to die, and that death evidenced by the shedding of blood. It's not just the goriness of shedding blood. That's not the point. It's the point that it proves that a life was given, and that life was the payment for my sin and your sin. And without the shedding of blood, there is no covering for our sin. That's why we sing the songs that we do about the blood covering. The blood will never lose its power. There was an old song we used to sing when I was a boy. They are covered by the blood. They're covered by the blood. My sins are all covered by the blood. Mine iniquity so vast have been blotted out at last. My sins are all covered by the blood. See, in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve tried to cover with fig leaves. In the New Testament, God covers with blood. In the Old Testament, God's way was an animal sacrifice pointing forwards to the Lamb of God who would die. Now we look back to the Lamb of God and by the shedding of blood, mercy is not deserved. By its very nature, it's not deserved. It is given. Now here's the third thing. That puts God at the center of all forgiveness, not man. So God is the model of forgiveness. Since he has forgiven me, God is the basis of forgiveness, his work on Calvary. God is the source of forgiveness. God is the initiative of forgiveness. He loved us first before we'd ever confessed. I, some of us didn't even know we'd sinned. And God had already reached out to us and then we confessed. You say, but what if I show mercy? What if I show forgiveness and the other person doesn't confess? That's God's problem, not yours. If you, if you give forgiveness and somebody refuses to confess, you go on holding them accountable, but at the same time offering forgiveness. And when you do that, you become God's witness of mercy in their lives. And God, the Holy Spirit, takes that mercy you extend and touches the heart. You don't know how God will use that in the heart of that person at work or that, that child of yours to trigger a response when mercy is offered. It's just like the love of God. When I found out how much God loved me in spite of my sin, I want to tell you, it triggered something in me. And so nothing is forgiven without blood. If I want fellowship with God, it's no way but by the blood. If I want eternal life, it's no way but by the blood. If I want heaven, it's no way but by the blood. If I want a pure conscience, it's no way but by the blood. If I want fellowship with the Father, it's no way but by the blood. And I'll be frank with you, the basis of our fellowship on earth is by the blood of Christ that cleanses us, all of us and makes us fit then to give grace to each other. So we have no choice. Brother to brother, sister to sister. Look at Matthew chapter five. God says through the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter five, verse 23, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus has already said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He knows that if we sinned against somebody and we know it, we go to them and offer forgiveness. But now he says, look, if your brother has something against you and you didn't know it, the moment you know it, don't even worship. You can't worship purely. 
You can't worship in a holy way until you've first been reconciled to your brother. It's all for naught. All for naught. So you see, we have no choice. Frankly, I'm of the opinion that an unforgiving spirit does more damage, spiritual damage, than the offense of the sinner. An unforgiving spirit does more damage in the life of a Christian than the, and is more dangerous than the sin of the defender. Therefore, bring, bring your fruits worthy of repentance to the table. Leave it to God. God says, I will take care. If you've got somebody you're having a hard time with, go to them and offer the word of forgiveness. When I'm dealing with an offended situation, I will sit there and insist that the parties express a word of forgiveness. Tell me I'm forgiven. Listen to how Jesus forgave. Here's a man who is, is uh, here's a woman, for instance, in Luke chapter 7, who comes and anoints his feet, and he says, her sins are forgiven. Her sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees said, how can you do that? This is such a wicked woman. And Jesus is showing forth his grace and his mercy. You know, I, I think I mentioned this just in passing, but let me focus on a little bit more. When my father died this summer, we were at the graveside. And I had four cousins whose mother was my Aunt Ruth, who died, and I can just vaguely remember her lying a corpse when I was about four or five years old. And so my grandmother and my grandfather raised them. And when Grandma died and the farm was sold, and they divided that among my Uncle Fred, my dad, and my Aunt Ruth's children, four of them. My father was the administrator of the estate. Now, my dad did things when he well pleased to, and it was hard to push him to do the many quick, more quickly than that. <laughs> and so because he didn't take care of the estate in a timely way that my cousins thought they should, two of them developed very hard feelings towards him. And uh, one of them there at the graveside said, I've listened to Uncle Harold's service. And he said, I want to talk to you. And tears were streaming. He was sobbing. And he pulled me off to the side. And he said, now, I have been angry and mad at Uncle Harold for many years. When he would come into the area, I wouldn't even go to see him. I didn't even want to talk to him because I was angry about the way the estate was handled. Isn't that funny how death and money and estates can divide families? And he said, Mark, he said, I don't know what to do. I feel terribly convicted about my wrong attitude, but Uncle Harold's gone, and I can't ask him for forgiveness. What am I going to do? I cannot ask him for forgiveness. Well, I did the best I knew how to do. I said, well, in his name, I forgive you. In his name, I forgive you. But you're going to have to forgive yourself after you've confessed it to the Father and it's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Oh, he said, if only I could have asked forgiveness while I had the chance. 
you know, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And our Father offers forgiveness to you, to whoever will come in confession of their sin, uncovering it, extending the hand, and saying, I'm sorry, God will cleanse and forgive. Oh, I'd hate to meet the Father with unforgiven sin. If you've never trusted Jesus or if you've got unconfessed sin, I challenge you to come to the Savior who made your covering for sin possible by his blood at the cross. Some of you need to come and join this church. Others of you need to come and give your heart to the Lord. Others of you need to come. You may want to talk with a pastor or a counselor. You may want to just kneel and say, I have got to make a covenant with God to go offer forgiveness to somebody whom I've not been forgiving towards. And today I'm going to make a public commitment. You might want to just kneel and then go back to your seat. Let's stand. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation 326 softly and tenderly.